How are we all this morning? Good, 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 good. Oh, so our scripture today comes from Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 through 50. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me now. Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 through 50. I am using the voice translation. Or think of it this way. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was cast into the sea, a net that caught a world of flickering fish. And when the net was full, the fishermen hauled it to shore. They separated the good fish from the bad, placing the good fish in a bucket and throwing out the inedible fish. And that is what the end of times will be like. The heavenly messengers will separate the good from the bad and the righteous from the wicked, the repentant from the prideful and the faithful from the hard-hearted. The bad, the wicked, the prideful, and the hard-hearted will be thrown into a fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus asked them, do you understand? To which the disciples replied, yes. We understand. And Jesus went on to say, Every scribe and every teacher of the law who has become a student of the ways of the kingdom of God is like the head of a household who brings in some new things and some old things, both out of the storeroom. So I don't know if you picked up on any assimilies here. Um, this is going back to the Old Testament. And so we have two choices. We can stay here um, like all day, like through supper time. And I can like peel back the Greek for you and I can show you like all the hidden meanings in this and it's really, really interesting. Or I can give you the bottom line and we can be home in time for lunch. Any votes? Lunch? All right, fine. <laughs> all right. So what Jesse has been teaching us um, and what we've learned through his blogs and things is that Jesus is teaching that the understanding of these parables, it enables us to um, not only affirm the Old Testament beliefs, but it also explains to us God's kingdom, God's kingdom to come and the new things that are there for us to understand. Does anybody else feel like this is somewhat ominous? It's a, it's a little ominous. The intensity is definitely picking up. As we've gone through these parables, the intensity is definitely picking up. But the bottom line is God's redeeming the world. However, to understand this, we have to go back to the beginning. We're going to go all the way back to Genesis, where we read about sin entering the world at the fall. Sin wrecked everything. It destroyed relationships. It destroyed our relationship with God. It destroyed, destroyed our relationship with each other. Death entered into humanity and each of our personal experiences. And there's a conflict in that because we also read in Genesis, right, that we were intentionally created in the image of God. We were created to be image bearers of God. And it was intended that we as humans would be the ones to bring forth God's light. It was a divine task. And here's the conflict. We failed. And through our failure, we have ultimately broken the divine covenant with God. But throughout the New Testament, we see the story moving forward, right? We see the story moving forward with these beautiful acts of divine love. And even though our actions set us up as enemies of God, God still steps into the story. God steps into the story for all of us collectively. God will fix what divides us. Us. God will fix what divides us, and God will fix what separates us from God. But also, God steps into our stories. Each of us, individually, God will step in and redeem the broken. 
And we see throughout the Bible God moving with these beautiful acts of redemption, and God promises to reshape our broken story. So essentially, that's what we just celebrated at Christmas, right? That God sent Jesus to enter in to humanity, fully human and fully God for us, to make a way for us to connect what separates us from God. And that good and that perfect plan and that covenant of God's that we broke at the fall and every single time throughout our individual lives, Jesus took that on himself. Jesus stopped at nothing to make a way. And not only are we completely helpless to save ourselves, we are totally and completely undeserving of such lavish generosity. So it's through these parables, it's through these parables that we have been learning who God is. And God, in such loving mercy, is putting the world right again. And it's through this parable we learn a little bit more about how this plays out. So this parable, it talks about a net. Specifically, the net is a drag net. And what uh, this net looked like, it had um, floaters on all sides of it. It was a huge net. It had weights on the bottom. And it would cast out to a really, really wide area. It would sink to the bottom, but it would also come around the top. And it would catch literally everything, literally everything that was in that area. And it was so big that it was uh, very common for um, once they, they gathered the fish, once it was full, for the people to holler to the rest of the people in the town to come and help them pull it up because it was so heavy when it was completely uh, full. Um, and because it covered such a vast area, it caught all types of fish. Um, and it caught not only fish, but like everything else floating in the water. So it would collect trash, it would collect debris, it would collect good fish, it would collect bad fish, um, a rogue sandal that got away. Um, and so they would pull the net in with whatever was in it, and together they would sort through the whatever was in the net. So there would be like these barrels, and there was a barrel for the good fish, a barrel for the bad fish, and a barrel for the random whatever. So they're like, okay, so there's like good fish here, bad fish there, rogue sandal over here, trash over there, sushi tonight over here, tilapia over here. Um, so in addition to catching the bad fish, it also caught good things as well. Um, so I hope you're seeing this, that this net catches all things indiscriminately. Are you with me? It catches all things, all things indiscriminately. And it's not our responsibility to determine who is in and who is out. It's not even our responsibility to determine who is righteous and who is wicked or who is good and who is bad. Sorry. Um, it's like this. Did everybody have breakfast this morning? I have, I have apples. Who's hungry? You're hungry? Do you want an apple? Okay, so I have two good apples. Come have an apple. So Lizzie's picking this apple. Ew. Yeah, <laughs> hold it up. What she couldn't see that I could see was that it's disgusting. It's rotten. It's literally rotten to the core. You can have this one. <laughs> and she couldn't see that. She couldn't see that. I could only see that 
from the perspective that I had. And it's like that way with the kingdom of God. We don't get to determine that. We don't get to choose because what is on one side might not be what we see on the other side. And it's God that gets to determine the heart. Now, this message would have been mind-blowing to the first century Jews because they believed that they were God's chosen people. They were in, and everyone else was out. So how does this apply to the way that we do ministry? Because we all do ministry, right? But sometimes it comes down to who we like to serve alongside. I mean, let's be honest. We like to serve alongside people that are like us. Um, we might say that we're going to invite someone to church, but who do we invite? You know, the people who are like us. And our actions might sometimes suggest that we're afraid of a ministry that casts a wide net. And we never want to be perceived as though we're attempting to build the perfect church, right? And, and we're, we've all been guilty of this at some point. Believe me, I get it. But we have to pause. And we have to ask ourselves, first of all, are we even casting a net? And if we can honestly, honestly say that, yes, we are, we are casting a net, then we must consider, is our net big enough? Are we allowing room for everyone? Are we allowing room for those that fall into different tax brackets or a different social economic status? Are we allowing room for difficult people, people that we would rather avoid in general and not invite to church or anything else? Are we allowing room for them within the net? Okay, it's like this. Who's from St. Louis? Okay, I'm from St. Louis. I don't know if you all knew that. Like, I am, I am from St. Louis. Like, I am from St. Louis. In the 1800s, my great-grandparents came on a boat from Germany, and they built a house on Texas Avenue where my grandfather was born and raised. And then my grandfather built a house on King's Highway where my daddy was born and raised. Well, until, until the birth of suburbia in the 50s. And then they built a house in Ferguson. So my dad, my dad went to McClure. My mom went to Pattonville. Jesse, since you lived here, what is the infamous question you have been asked? What high school did I go to? Yep. Did you all know they wrote a book about that? What high school did you go to? What high school did you go to? We only ask that in St. Louis. It's weird. But why do we ask that? Why do we ask that question? Let me dial you in a little bit. Because if I know what high school you went to, I know your tax bracket. I know your social economic status. I know where you fit in culturally. And therefore, I can what? I can judge you. I can judge you a little bit right there. But that's not our responsibility. So. Going back, what is our responsibility? My slides are out of order. I'm sorry, Jesse. I know it's like. <laughs> so these cards, these cards are a beautiful way. If you were with us a couple weeks ago, you heard me talk about how our students have been using these cards, how we spent, uh, what was it, six, seven, eight weeks going through these. Um, we went through each one of these, seeking Jesus daily, attending worship, and, and what that looks like. And I, I explained to you how our students like arose to the occasion, and they have taken this so seriously. They have been praying for people. They've been inviting people. Um, but here's my question. In what way are you being discipled into the kingdom of God? And I'm going to take it a step further. 
In what ways are you discipling others into the kingdom of God? Are we seeking Jesus daily? Are we regularly attending Sunday worship? Who are you inviting to join you at Sunday worship? Who are you inviting to join you in your small group? Are you participating on a River Tree team? Oh, I'm going to do it. It's a shameless plug right now. Are you participating in a River Tree team? The students, because they have been so engaged and so participating, their numbers have like gone up. What did Bertram say? It was like 400%. <laughs> Our numbers have gone up 400% in the youth ministry. And because of that, guess what we need? We need volunteers. We need volunteers. So I know that God is not calling each and every one of you to that ministry, but would you pray? Would you pray and just see if maybe that is something that God has called you to? Maybe, maybe there's just one of you in this room right now, or maybe you know somebody that God might be calling to that. Or, or what about another team? Like, um, what, about, what about running the, the uh, tech over here? It's actually not that hard. They've even let me push the buttons a couple of times. So, I mean, if they let me do it, you know, y'all are in. All right, I digress. I digress. Here's the bottom line. We are all broken. You, me, the world, we are all, all broken. But I'm going to read to you a quote, or you can read along with me. This, is, this comes from my favorite author. You've heard me mention her before, Ian Voskamp. This is how she puts it. Our way through any broken landscape may always be the simple. The body of Christ must always recapture its vision as the only collective in the world that works for its non-members. A community that exists for the exiled, the reviled and the profiled, and the longing to be reconciled. We are a community that lives our calling to such an offensive grace that it might look like we are soft on truth, routinely being called gluttons and drunkards because the king of our kingdom lived around addicts and prostitutes and shady tax collectors and the broken down and the busted up and the religiously disdained, and he never once explained himself only continually gave himself. And if Jesus welcomed sinners and ate with them, why would we position ourselves at any other table? We are a community that will not dish out condemnation, but courage, that will lean in and listen long and love well. We define success as showing up and bending down, serving well, over-debating well, serving after the lights go off, because there's a light in us. So I'm going to invite you to take a moment, just right here, right now, take a deep breath. I've been talking at you. Just <laughs> let's breathe together. How about that? And let's just pause and let's reflect for just a moment. What has Jesus been trying to tell you this week? You have a Savior that longs to connect with you, to communicate with you, and I know, I don't know about you, but I know, that sometimes in the busyness of my everyday life, I get off track and I get derailed and I shut out that still small voice. So I invite you, just take a moment right now and just, just try to listen to that voice. What is it that Jesus has been trying to tell you this week? And as you receive that, think about how did you see Holy Spirit trying to work in your world this week. Because we have the Spirit of God 
in us. That, that's what we get to have, and that's what we get to carry around. And that Spirit of God works in amazing ways. So my question for you is, how did you see that this week? And on that thought, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond to the workings of the Holy Spirit? Maybe like me, you missed it last week. What about this week? Because his mercies are new every morning. How are you going to respond? Let's take a moment and let's pray.